0: I'll tell you something. A guy like that is a detriment to any sport. He's a boob with a batting eye. He wakes up, brushes his teeth, hikes out to the ballpark, hits the ball, hikes back to the hotel room, reads the funny papers, gargles, and goes to bed. That's personality, hmm? The best. A real hero. Let me tell you about heroes, Hank. I've covered a lot of them, and I'm saying Gary is the best of them. <laughs> and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Rasslin.
1: And I'm Bert Hugginsby, sports reporter for the New York Times-Picayune Gazette.
0: No, no, you're not.
1: I'm David Doff.
0: <laughs> and this week, we watched Pride of the Yankees, Starring Gary Cooper.
1: As the man doing his grim work out there in the cubed circle, doing the sweet science of baseball, God's own stick sport. (laughs) He's done it again, folks.
0: Is baseball the sweet science?
1: Uh, it is now. Pretty sure that it is. Don't know why you would need to fact check me. No,
0: boxing is apparently the sweet science.
1: Again, do not know why you felt the need to fact check me on this. (laughs) Pretty sure it's baseball.
0: You could have called it the beautiful game, but that's soccer.
1: The president's apple pie. America's jazz. It's baseball.
0: (laughs) Jazz is America's jazz.
1: (laughs) But baseball's what made jazz what it is today, Susan.
0: I can see how you would extrapolate that from this film, actually. (laughs) Yeah, so it's really not about baseball so much as it is about Lou Gehrig, which does mean that a lot of it is about baseball. And it does seem like you hated it.
1: God, I hated it so much. Yeah, I mean, just it simultaneously was not enough about baseball and was more baseball than I needed for my entire goddamn life. And I don't know how it managed that, but the two hour and seven minute running time probably helped. My main complaint, as I've made repeatedly to you over text, is when do we fucking do anything new? (laughs) Because we start off in Lou Gehrig's childhood, where we learn that he's a good, earnest boy who has a weirdly close relationship to his mother and just loves baseball with all of his heart and soul. And then we fast forward to his time at Columbia University, where he's going because his mom who he has a weirdly close relationship with, wants him to be an engineer. And we learned that he's an extremely earnest boy who loves baseball with all of his heart and soul.
0: He also plays football though.
1: Which they mention offhandedly for six seconds and you never see because they've got to get to the part where he gets signed up with the New York Yankees, which we've got to get to immediately because this film needs you to know that he's a good, earnest boy who loves baseball and has a weirdly (laughs) close relationship with his mother.
0: He has a very weirdly close relationship with his mother.
1: To the point where he calls her his best girl as an adult. Yeah. Like, well into adulthood. It would help if the father's relationship with the mother had any substance to it besides this one-note sitcom joke of the mom's the one who really wears the pants in this family. And so it just seems like there is absolutely no spark of anything between husband and wife, but the mom and the son have a lot of complicated shit going on.
0: Which is apparently factual. (sighs) Apparently Lou Gehrig, at least his wife, Eleanor, would say that he had a very complicated relationship with his mom. That she was very overbearing.
1: Was his mother still alive at the time this film came out? Because there is a big thing in the opening vaguely offensive crawl where they say that Lou Gehrig is more brave than many men who died overseas in war, where they mentioned that his wife was a consultant on this film. And so the weirdly vindictive nature of how controlling the mother was in the back half of this film seemed oddly spiteful.
0: (laughs) She was. So his parents outlived him by quite a long time because he died of ALS at 37. Right. And it was only a year before this movie came out that he died. And his parents and his widow apparently had a huge falling out over the managing of his estate. And his parents sued her and they never made up.
1: Yeah, that's wild.
0: Not mentioned in the movie, but of course, like that took place over decades. But yeah, it does seem a little bit to make Mrs. Gehrig out to be kind of a rolling pin wielding harpy (laughs) who will not release control over her son even to his wife
1: yeah you get to the end of act one you get to the part where he has to reveal to his mother that he is going to be playing for the yankees which she is going to hate because she has wanted him to be an engineer for his whole life and she reluctantly gets talked into coming to yankee stadium and seeing him play a game and you think briefly Oh, okay, I now understand what all this weird stuff with the mother is about. She will be won over by the game of baseball and become kind of this audience surrogate character. Nope, it's all off screen. She just, like, comes to the game. They go immediately into a montage of him playing away games for a season. And then the next time you see the mom, she's just all in on fucking baseball. But you have not seen any scene where you learn why she enjoys baseball Or, like, what won her over. I mean, I get it. Her son is one of the greatest baseball players on Earth. I don't need it explained to me, necessarily. But it was this weird moment of, like, oh, this is actually kind of narratively elegant because it lets you sort of explain baseball and what makes Lou Gehrig so special to baseball in layman's terms so the mother can understand it. And the movie's just like, nope, instead we're just going to show you the penance of a bunch of teams.
0: So I did not hate this movie at, well, I didn't hate this movie at all. I thought that the first act was cliched when he was a little boy. And I get it. Like, my dad is an immigrant. I totally understand having an immigrant parent who's like, this is what your job is going to be that you're going to do for your whole life. I've decided this when you were born. And then the conflict that happens when you don't actually pursue that because otherwise I would be a biochemist right now. That part didn't bother me quite so much even though it does feel cliched even at this point in movie history. Gary Cooper was 43 years old when he made this movie so he's already six years older than Lou Gehrig was when he died. Yeah. Him playing a college student is so ludicrous that I started to think oh my god this movie is going to be a disaster. Now when he does get to be an adult I actually enjoyed the movie and it felt a lot more genuine. And when he loosens up a bit and stops being such a total square... Because he's always a good boy and there was never apparently any touch of scandal around him. Though I have read up on his wife, Eleanor, around whom there was apparently quite a bit of scandal and she was very much like a live-fast party girl in the 20s in Chicago and her dad went broke even before the Depression. Not exclusively because of her lifestyle, but (laughs) it contributed apparently. And she definitely comes off as this complete sweetheart other than the fact that she occasionally is sarcastic and gives him shit and has a negging nickname for him yeah But I like their relationship. I thought that it was the most interesting part of the movie. And I thought that despite the huge age difference between Gary Cooper and Teresa Wright, that Teresa Wright really had great chemistry with Gary Cooper. And it didn't feel like in the last Gary Cooper movie we watched where the actress playing his eventual wife was like 15 or something. It did not feel like that.
1: Yeah, I think that their romance is, like you say, the best part of the film. But I mean... My thought on Gary Cooper was just like, oh, so he's just going to give the exact same performance he gave in Sergeant York, just like beat for beat. Yeah. That really took me out of a lot of it. The fact that it never really decided what to be about because it kept sort of being the story of their romance, but knew you're actually here for the baseball, but it felt so bored by all the baseball sequences. It felt like they were all contractually obligated (laughs) before you got back to the real meat of the story, which is their relationship.
0: I did feel like the baseball part was glossed over a bit and it did feel like the sports movie formula that we have come to know where you get to see at least the most critical part of one or two games and then toward the end in Act 3 you have the big game that's really important had not really been established yet, because like you said, they did just show all these different pendants of different cities that they went to, and they did that twice. Instead of doing like, here's the most critical part of this game, like the one where they win the World Series, or... Even the game where he wins some important thing, and it was just after he married Ellie in their house, and they were almost late to the game. They didn't even show that part of the game. They just showed the after interview with the sportscasters and everybody taking pictures of him kissing his wife.
1: Yeah, the only game they really show any significant portion of whatsoever is the game where he and Babe Ruth are not really competing, but competing to hit more home runs for a sick kid in the hospital that plays like parody at this point because they're hitting a home runs for a sick kid in a hospital. Right. Which is like the single most cliched baseball movie in all of existence thing. It. Works more effectively, I think, than a lot of sections of this film still, because they're doing the big sport thing for a sick kid. They did it.
0: And you also get a feeling for the complication of it, that Garrig is trying too hard, so he keeps swinging at things he shouldn't swing at, and he's struck out a number of times. You kind of start to understand the ins and outs of baseball a little bit more. And I do think that a big reason why they didn't do that much baseball is apparently Garrig was left-handed and Cooper did swing left-handed, but he's not going to be able to knock it out of the park. <laughs> We are living in the age of film at this point in 1942. They can't take a thousand takes until he finally gets a real Homer.
1: Right, but it's, I mean, when there are real Homers, it's always a cutaway shot in every movie anyway. All he's got to do is connect the ball and have it go vaguely upwards and then cut to someone who can actually hit a home run having done it. Right. I get it. I mean, my feeling is that this movie genuinely just doesn't, have much interest in the minutiae of baseball. Its feeling on the proudest accomplishment of Lou Gehrig is playing 2,000 consecutive games, which, to be fair, a huge accomplishment, one that Gehrig himself like touted regularly, a thing he is remembered for. But having the backbone of your movie be an attendance record does not a compelling baseball story make. You have to make the compelling stuff the story of the guy and not the baseball if the baseball story you're telling is he was there every time. And I don't think the movie quite knows what to do with that. So it just does a lot of montages to show like time's passing and he's still playing baseball.
0: I mean, it was important that he held this record for a consecutive number of games played that wasn't broken until I was in middle school. And I actually remember when it happened. And I've never cared about baseball, but everybody cared about
1: that. To be clear, I really do want to separate me being kind of dismissive of baseball, which I am, because I just I'm never going to be a sports person. Sorry, everyone I knew growing up in Georgia. But like, I, it just I, it's too late. And, like, I do recognize that mostly as just a weird thing about myself and not the brave moral stand I tried to make it when I was, like, 12. And the fact that this movie just isn't very compelling as a separate point. It isn't, I don't think, very compelling, even if you really like baseball, because it just assumes that you're going to get a long way on... You know, baseball, that thing you already love. And so we don't have to do any of the work of making it compelling or fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's why I said that I did enjoy the movie, but the parts that I really enjoyed were the parts with Eleanor. And one thing in particular that you sent me a text about was why are we now going to do this whole musical scene with no one that we've met before? And I didn't reply to you because I figured that you would figure that out where He and Eleanor go to a ball? I guess it's a ball.
1: It seems like a club because of the woman singing after the ballroom dancing section.
0: They go out to something. And I actually really liked that part, for example, because I feel like it showed the time. I feel like it showed her as a character and his relationship to her as a character And how he didn't fit into this world of being wealthy and being a celebrity. But there also was never any tension after that, which was apparently something that was a problem in their marriage is that she really embraced the celebrity part of it and he didn't.
1: Yeah, there's this thing where I can't fully get on board with the her and him stuff because it all plays as such a weird pay on to her that it is distracting whenever this stuff happens like she is his rock he never puts one over on her he tries all the time but he's just too earnest and gosh susan he sure does love baseball but he has a weird relationship with his mother I get it. I do think, certainly performance-wise, it's the most compelling part of the movie, but it just never clicked over into being likable for me. And it always had this weird angle of like, yes, I get that we're seeing growth in their relationship here, but that's a full ballroom dance sequence. It's like four solid minutes of just they're watching other people ballroom dance as part of their date. And it's like, okay okay? Why? Okay. (laughs) Like, it's a good sequence. They do dance impressively. But like, why is this in the movie is a question I found myself asking for over an hour of this movie's two hour running time. The reason I keep making the not joke of he's earnest and he loves baseball and he has a weird relationship with his mom is that there are so many sequences that just repeat those same basic beats. You do not need the childhood thing at all. And then for that matter, you don't actually need any of the fucking college shit.
0: You definitely don't need the college shit.
1: (laughs) And that's like a half hour of the movie. Among the weirder things about this movie is so long is spent on him, like, gearing up and becoming part of the team and getting better. And there is no day that is like his breakout day You just sort of skip ahead to this sequence where they're like, and as we all know, he and Babe Ruth are just going head to head as the two best batters in the major leagues. And you're like, they are? What season did that happen in?
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, apparently he and Babe Ruth actually had a lot of issues with each other and had a falling out that lasted basically until Garrick died.
1: (laughs) Right. Which is mentioned offhandedly as a rivalry between two sports reporters One of which was in Lou Gehrig's frat and just hated him for life for no reason in the universe of this film.
0: Because he was poor.
1: (laughs) Right. And this other sports reporter who's Lou Gehrig's best friend and quasi-father figure, because again, his actual father is just a sitcom joke about a haranguing wife. Right. None of that stuff is so awful that I'm like, you can't put this in a movie, how dare you? But cut some of this. You don't need to do this again for like a fifth sequence without really changing up the game at all.
0: That's true. I think the movie absolutely could have started with him playing for the Yankees. Yeah. And then meeting Eleanor because that's a big part of his life, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's not a perfect movie. What I'm saying is I didn't hate it and that I did enjoy some of it.
1: I don't think I just had that rung to hold on to. There was no basic thing to attach me to this movie, so all of its flaws were basically all I got. Right. It is strange to me how late in this movie he is diagnosed. I get that they don't want this to turn into a saccharine medical drama about the tragedy of it all, because he would not have wanted that, and I get that. But it is also strange that the promise of this film, this film is really structured as if you know that the tragedy of it is going to be that he's going to have to stop playing baseball because he's going to get Lou Gehrig's disease. And that's 20 minutes before the end of the film. And before that, there's just a whole lot of he's earnest and he loves baseball. And he and his mom have some weird shit going on that I don't want to think about too hard.
0: The end of it when he gets sick. There's a major change in the film that I find to be really interesting, which is that they want to keep it from Eleanor, how sick he is. And apparently in real life, Eleanor kept it from him. That apparently he basically died never really knowing how sick he was, which is fucked up. And I don't know that I want that in the film. I'm just throwing that out there that like, oh my God. She might she might have been kind of a monster.
1: In the film it is never publicly known He gives a version of his farewell address that is like one of the most famous things to ever happen in baseball, but where they change the words so that he talks about Eleanor more.
0: I didn't realize that, that they changed the words.
1: Yeah, she is not mentioned in the text that we actually have of the speech he supposedly actually gave that is on his Wikipedia page. I had it open looking at it. Oh, and now he just beat for beat gives this because it's a huge moment in the history of baseball and it's what you came here to see. And then I'm like, These aren't the words. They rewrote what he said to be more about his family and his wife and his parents. Because the original speech is just the parts about the team and how honored he was to also be honored by the New York Giants, who were apparently there, which you wouldn't know from the film. But the biggest change is by the time he gave that speech, his diagnosis was publicly known. And in the film, it's never publicly known. He decides he's going to keep it a secret from everybody so the world can still believe Lou Gehrig is going to come back to baseball. That's wild. And like the kid who was in the hospital with... Comes back and is like, I can walk now. And you're like, I guess he couldn't walk before.
0: Well, no, Lou Gehrig said to him in the hospital... Promise me that one day you're going to get up and walk out of here on your own power.
1: Did he? I thought he just said you're going to get up and you're going to hit a home run one day. And he has like his arm in a splint. And you're like, did this kid break his arm? What is wrong with this kid?
0: He says both. Okay. Yeah.
1: I apparently missed that part. It is still this weird sequence to bring that kid back. Was that a different actor? It must have been, because in the hospital, that kid can't act for shit.
0: Yeah. Okay. And the kid was like seven.
1: Yeah. I guess they just cast a kid that actually looked like a more grown-up version of the other kid, which never happens. It's always like, I had a big growth spurt, and also I'm like Asian now. (laughs) And... But that kid does a much better job acting, but it also creates this weird thing of how brave Lou Gehrig is to lie to the world, which he didn't even do, about his diagnosis so people would still believe in the power of positive thinking or something.
0: (laughs) I don't even know if it was the power of positive thinking so much as like the power of baseball, except that the kid clearly knows that he's not well because he starts crying after Lou Gehrig leaves. Like people had to have known something or is it just that they knew that he was quitting baseball?
1: I think it's just they knew he was quitting baseball because there's that whole montage sequence where characters you've never met before and never cared about at all all discuss whether they think something's really wrong with him or not. So I think it's like still an open question whether he's ever going to return to baseball in the universe of the film. But it's super confusing because, again, they just completely rewrote the history of his diagnosis for seemingly no reason except to make the wife look better.
0: Well, she was the consultant on it, so... Yeah. I guess history is written by the consultants. (sighs) Yeah. You just don't have anything else to say about this movie, do you?
1: I kind of hit everything. I don't know what to tell you, Susan. He's earnest. He loves baseball. He has a weird relationship with his mom. In two hours and seven minutes, the movie didn't give me much more than that. I don't know why I'd owe the audience anything more.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay, fair enough. I think that the movie was totally watchable. Uh, Once you get past that initial first act I think it's interesting that Babe Ruth played himself in it As did Bill Dickey, who was the manager of the Yankees And a few other baseball people who I don't know who they are
1: The Babe Ruth thing is genuinely kind of fascinating I I should have commented more on the fact that Babe Ruth playing himself is a weirdly large part of this film
0: And he's a bad actor
1: Oh god, he's terrible <laughs>
0: It's like, dude, you're playing yourself. You don't have to try that hard.
1: But his willingness to kind of make himself the villain of the piece in several sequences, I think is very interesting. Like the scene in the hospital, Babe Ruth could very clearly give a flying shit about that kid. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of the whole team is always pranking him and he is always taking it badly. Everyone's always pranking everybody else in this movie. I don't understand it.
0: Because baseballers prank each other.
1: Okay. Is that a thing?
0: Sure. I mean, any time that you get a group of men together in close proximity for very long, they do all start pranking each other.
1: Is that like a thing in Kinburn's Baseball? Because I got through all the Shelby Foot parts of Civil War and could not last 10 minutes through Skinburns Baseball.
0: I mean, I, I, I don't know. It just seemed that they had a very frat house atmosphere on their baseball bus.
1: That weird scene where they're all tearing each other's clothes apart after they win the World Series is like... I guess this is just a thing that I'm not aware was a thing. <laughs>
0: I, I mean, maybe, but it does make Babe Ruth look like an asshole. Yeah. And actually, the other teammates also look like an asshole because they know that he's going to be really upset.
1: Oh, no, no, these these are two separate sequences. Oh, okay. One is the one where they all eat his hat for no apparent fucking reason.
0: Babe Ruth's brand new hat, which he apparently always has a new hat and everybody always fucks it up. And he's like, if anybody touches it, I'm going to kill him.
1: But no, after they win the World Series, after the hitting all the homers sequence, there's the thing on the team train car where they're all celebrating and the way they're celebrating is they're like ripping the sleeves off each other's clothes and like ripping huge chunks of each other's clothes off. And I'm like, is this how you baseball? This was not a thing they covered when the Braves were doing well in the nineties. You know, I missed this. Yeah. (laughs) And I just don't know.
0: Bosley Crowther of the New York times called it at the time a tender, meticulous, and explicitly narrative film that inclines to monotony because of its length and devotion to genial details. And I think that that's true. It very rarely goes anywhere that's not positive, that's not he's a good boy who loved his wife and baseball and had a weird relationship with his mother. Because even the stuff with his mom always comes across as, like, cutesy... Whereas in the stuff that I've read of Eleanor's retelling of it, it seems a little darker than that.
1: My reaction to that is what a 1942 nice way of saying, I'm not going to shit talk Lou Gehrig, but this movie's not very good. (laughs) I mean, he had just died. This is not going to be a movie about getting all the skeletons out of the closet. Right. I recognize that. I'm not asking for this movie to be that. But I think... Without something compelling to hold on to when it is just here is a sequence of things Lou Gehrig did, which is very large portions of the runtime of this film. It's not a movie. It's just a lot of shit that happened.
0: I feel like that's a fair criticism, except for the parts where Teresa Wright is in it. She really, I think, saved the movie for me. She's very congenial. She's very cute. She's also, most of the time, not a complete pushover of a wife. But it does eventually get to a point where it's like, okay, do you ever have a disagreement?
1: (laughs) Yes, she absolutely gives the best performance of the film. All of my complaints about Eleanor in the movie are script-based. And honestly, I think script (laughs) consultant-based. That there is some pretty blatant rewriting of history to make someone look better. (laughs) That kind of skeeves me out. But the performance itself, really, I think you're right, is what is holding this film together insofar as it is held together. She is the anchor of this movie and is giving a lot of nuance and a lot of charm to a role that is kind of just saintly wife that made Lou Gehrig the old iron horse of baseball.
0: This part could have been played very easily, very one note. She could have had zero spice or edge to her at all and she does really seem to have like she's a little bit sharp tongued and she gives him shit and he kind of takes it and thinks it's cute that's sweet I guess I think
1: so I find all that stuff which is a weirdly large portion of the third act where they're kind of ribbing each other while we're just playing Lou Gehrig's greatest hits basically after the like hour and 10 minute mark That, like, the thing that's really giving any content to the film at all is the sort of playful relationship between the two of them.
0: Yeah, the screenplay needs some work. Not that they're going to do it again. (laughs) Interestingly enough, one of the screenwriters for this movie was one of the screenwriters for Citizen Kane and The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Which I find to be very strange, (laughs) Because he definitely did not bring the same level of complexity or narrative forward momentum that those others had.
1: No, but also like writing credits were so weird back then, which I know only from all the Dorothy Parker biographies I read, and just how much people would do uncredited rewrites and how much you really would just come in and do like a full dialogue touch up. Some of the dialogue in this pops in a way that makes me feel like Oh, okay. The story's structure was here. And the reason any of that playful dialogue between the two of them pops is that they got the Citizen Kane guy in here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true, actually. Yeah, I don't know that I have anything else to say about this film. I don't really. So should we go ahead and rate it?
1: Yeah, Susan, I don't think you can talk me up past a four.
0: Wow, okay.
1: It just doesn't work. It's not racist. It's not... A complete fucking disaster but the movie just doesn't work it leans on baseball for the majority of its running time without really making baseball feel compelling or doing anything to make you feel any attachment to it whatsoever it just kind of assumes it's gonna skate by on your love of baseball it's my least favorite kind of sports movie, which I already generally don't like.
0: I'm going to give it a six because I think that the parts of it that are entertaining are more entertaining than average.
1: <laughs> I I just don't see it. I can't think of a single sequence that rises above workmanlike in this film. She does good work, but we've seen a lot of more compelling relationships in this project than their relationship in this film.
0: Oh, I think they have a lot of really cute moments, not just at the club, but I think the stuff in their house particularly, and I think Gary Cooper really comes into his own in this scene for one of the few times in the movie when he goes into the kitchen and she's upset about how his mom is trying to control the whole redecoration of their home. And he tells her that he had the wardrobe sent back that she didn't like and says that it was ugly or whatever. And he's standing behind her while she's trying not to cry at the stove. I thought that they had some really good moments that were genuinely funny and tender and sweet i also liked the bit where they got married amidst the house construction guys and then they have to get in the car to go to the game so that he's not late and the cops pull over the sports writer who's driving him there and they're like do you know how fast you were going or whatever and the guy says i've got lou Gehrig in the back and we've got to make it to the game And then he ends up with a police escort all the way to Yankee Stadium from New Rochelle, I thought was actually kind of cute. There are moments in this that I thought worked. There are definitely moments in it that I thought didn't.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think there are moments in this that work, but none of them struck me as moments of greatness so much as moments of like, yes, that whole section, I think, basically works. None of it is like, thank God I sat through those bad sequences to get to this, you know? right it's all just like okay the film is working now
0: i liked it better than you did yeah but i do think that it had problems yeah as for whether or not you should watch this movie i'm not gonna recommend that you should
1: yeah don't watch this movie but do go to the wikipedia page and look at the japanese poster for the 1949 theatrical release of it
0: yeah it's actually pretty great
1: because it fucking rips (laughs)
0: The problem is, if we had seen that poster, I would have known off the bat that it wasn't going to be a great movie. (laughs) Because the actual poster is okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, the actual poster really wants you to know that Gary Cooper's in this movie. Yes. (laughs) Which makes sense.
0: He's still a leading man at this point, despite getting into his 40s and playing 18-year-olds.
1: It's wild that today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth, is voted 38th in the American Film Institute's list of 100 Greatest Movie Quotes, when that's just a thing a guy said in real life. I mean, I guess you're allowed to do that. It's just weird to me that that list, you know, includes, like, fucking play it again, Sam, and shit that, like, someone had to sit down and write.
0: Did someone put four scores <laughs> seven years ago <laughs>
1: on <Right>.
0: this list? <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, that is strange. Yeah. So for next week, (laughs) we are watching Wake Island, which is a propaganda war film about Pearl Harbor or something. I am not about the Pacific theater.
1: Okay. Gonna be honest with you, Susan. If you put a gun to my head about the list of this year's movies, I would say someone added that movie last week. I have no memory of ever seeing the title Wake Island before in my life. Someone is Berenstain bearsing me really hard right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's it's always been there.
1: Okay. Well, I guess we'll see how this one ranks in our 15 propaganda movies we've watched in the last year and a half of Academy Award nominees.
0: <laughs> yeah, really. And until then.
1: Boy, I don't know on this one, guys. I, like, I've. Uh, baseball. You gotta hand it to him.
0: It is the beautiful game.
1: It's the sweetest of the sciences.
0: <laughs> it's neither of those. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.
1: Bye. Here it comes.
0: One. Two home runs in one World Series game. He's really a man at man.